everyone, and welcome to Classic Vinyl Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Justin, and I'm here with another host of mine, Tyler. Here I am. Here he is. Welcome back, Vinyl Heads. And we've got a special guest host tonight. Now, who is that, Tyler? This is a first. We have Austin joining us. Hello, everybody. And who is Austin? He is. Do you actually listen to this podcast? I do, actually. Why? I love it. Okay. It helps me discover a lot of new music, actually. Right new on. to me. Uh, Austin is your firstborn, Justin. He is my firstborn. Yeah. And he's the reason we invited him on tonight is because this album, Love Forever Changes, that we're doing tonight, it's one that we kind of have history together, right? Mm-hmm. He, he really likes this album. I've always liked the album. It's kind of a hidden gem, so mm-hmm. we thought we'd have him come on and talk about it. I don't want to get into the album review just yet, but this is a hidden gem. I enjoyed it. It's kind of different, isn't it? It is. It's very different, but it has that classic sound that we'd like to hear. Yeah, it's you know the funny thing about it too that I you know I've listened to it a number of times, but after sitting down with the purpose of reviewing it, I think the lyrics are kind of, with the exception of a couple songs, definitely seems sixties and like you're supposed yeah. to decipher it. They're mm-hmm. they're not real upfront. No, it's it's poetic. Yeah. So, Austin, what got you into love? I think when we first got that vinyl. We we picked up that vinyl, the Forever Changes vinyl, yeah, and that's what really got me got me first into love. Just listening to that album, and then I've listened to at least one of their other albums. Yeah, their other albums are kind of tough for me. They're I, not the same. I, I've listened to them, but they're I don't know if this one just kind of has a special place. And a lot of people consider this their best album by far. But they're kind of an interesting band, so. Yeah, I think it is one I finally, you know, I'd listened to it for years, but I finally bought the album and me and you just sat in here and listened to it quite a bit. We really got into it. Let me get into a little history on the band Love. So they are an American rock band. They were formed in Los Angeles in 1965. So they consist of Arthur Lee, who's the vocals, guitar and piano and harmonica. Brian McLean, who is guitar and vocals. Ken Forsy, or Forsey, I'm not sure exactly how you say that, but he plays bass. Johnny Eccles is lead guitar, and Albin Feister, known as Albin Snoopy Feister, played drums. This band is a really, really hard band to categorize their sound. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know if you'd want to call it psychedelic or rock or folk rock and heavy jazz influences. Mm -hmm. It's kind of an interesting sound. Oh, yeah, it's a conglomerate of all that. It has some elements of music around that time, but it also is very unique in its own way, too. It is. It They use a lot of horns and strings, and it's kind of interesting because I generally don't like them unless they're used right. It fits in with their music really well. I, I agree. Think, you know? I was going to mention this later, but I've never heard somebody rock so hard on a trumpet outside of a mariachi band. <laughs> well, that's a good way to put like, it. But these guys do it, and they do it well. Funny little fact about this band is they were originally named the Grassroots. And, of course, there is another group named the Grassroots. And Mm -hmm. soon after they found that out, they changed their name to Love. Mm -hmm. Better name anyways. Yeah, not so much grass in it. So they were the first rock band to sign to Elektra Records. And, of course, famously with Elektra Records, one of their most famous bands that signed to them were The Doors. So they, they were quite friendly with the Doors, you know, playing at Whiskey and those places along Sunset Strip. They knew mm-hmm. each other fairly well. Now, Love released six studio albums from 1966 to 1974. And then Arthur Lee, who pretty much was Love, he released Arthur Lee and Love in 1992. And then uh, he also released two more compilation albums 
later, which when we were talking the other day mm-hmm. on our lat under one of our other episodes, how many compilations some of these bands have, <laughs> yeah. they, they release six albums and have mm-hmm. 15 compilation albums, not so with love, just two of them. You gotta have so many different versions of your greatest hits. Definitely. So they released their first album in July of 1966, which actually hit number 57 on the Billboard charts, and it had one single off of it that uh, did fairly well. It was called My Little Red Book. It hit number 52 on the charts. So they released their second album, Da Capo, and it spawned their only uh, top 40 single, which was Seven and Seven is the name of the song, and it reached number 33 on the charts, and that was actually their highest charting single they ever did have. And what was kind of funny about this band, and what what's kind of funny about this band is they did have quite a bit of popularity, but they actually refused to tour outside of California quite oh. a while, and it really hurt their chances at popularity. Yeah, that's you know, be- unique. Yeah, yeah, because a lot of the other California groups, you know, like I said, The Doors, The Birds, Iron Butterfly, those are three really popular L.A. bands mm-hmm. that did tour outside of California and hit it big, and Love just didn't want to, and well, I, I don't know why. Hey, if their fans want to hear them, they're going to have to go see them in California. Well, and that's kind of what it was. You know, the Rolling Stones and The Doors were both known to be very big love fans, which I think Mm -hmm. helped their popularity. You know, Mick Jagger speaking out about how good Mm -hmm. of a group they were, and so I think that really spurred some of it. Brian McLean, who is the guitar player in this band and does sing some vocals, he actually left the band after this album we're reviewing tonight, Forever Changes, and I don't know if there was disputes or whatnot, you know, and then Arthur Lee, being the leader of the band, just decided to fire the rest of them. There's been a lot of iterations of this band that Arthur Lee put together, multiple band lineups. You know, he was pretty much the leader, and he did what he wanted. And the band pretty much disbanded after 1974 and their final album, which, you know, was basically just Arthur Lee and a bunch of session musicians. So at that time, there really wasn't even much of a band. Oh, he, he don't get no love no more. I think he had a little bit of a control problem, but a Sounds lot of like times it. that's what makes bands great too, mm-hmm. right? Now, Ken Forsythe, he died of a brain tumor in 1998 at 54. Brian McLean died of a heart attack in 1998 at 52. And Arthur Lee, after spending six years in prison... He had some firearm offenses that he went to prison for. Once again, began touring with a band, but he called them Love with Arthur Lee. And he toured toured for a little while until 2006 when he died of leukemia at the age 61. I looked and looked and looked, and I cannot find anywhere that lists the total album sales for Love. It's just, you know, I think this album's fairly well known, Mm -hmm. you know, within people that like the rock music of the 60s and things. I couldn't find much. I did find some... Uh, sales totals for this album, not but not for all their albums, which is mm-hmm. kind of strange. But I did find that Forever Changes was certified gold in the UK. So That's they, what I found. They must have, you know, sold a few albums. Yeah, they sold a few. And for some reason, they hit it really popular in the UK. The British liked them. And it's kind oh. of funny how, how different UK is from us sometimes, you know. For sure. We're talking about singles, and they'll hit number 50 here but hit number one there it's really strange so especially without touring it's yeah. weird they got their name all the way to the uk without touring yeah even and I, california and i don't know if that comes from the rolling stones you know promoting them a little bit because they did say that mick jagger promoted them on a number of occasions and i'm sure that kind of put them on the map a little bit and you know although this band love didn't have a ton of commercial success i mean they are now highly praised for their innovation and sound and they had a perfect name of their band for the time. Yeah, it's a good band name. Yeah, it love really is. 
I mean, during the summer of love was right around the corner. Yeah, it was an excellent band mm-hmm. name. It's just too bad they didn't want to hit it big because it would have been interesting to see if they actually would have went touring in the 60s and done what the other L.A. bands did. Arthur Lee could have been somebody. Do you want to get to the album review? Let's do it. And now it's time for the album review. Okay, so today we are going to review Love and Forever Changes. Now, this is the third studio album that they released on November 1st of 1967. It was released by Elektra Records. It was recorded at Sunset Sound Recorders in Hollywood. It was produced by Arthur Lee and Bruce Botnick, who also, Bruce Botnick was also heavily involved in The Doors and produced their final album. Well, their final album with Jim Morrison, L.A. Woman. This was the final album recorded by the original band lineup that I give you before, but here it is. Arthur Lee on vocals and guitar, Brian McLean on guitar and vocals, Johnny Eccles on guitar, Ken Forsyth on bass, Michael Stewart Ware on drums, which is a different drummer than their original. This is basically the original lineup before Arthur Lee decided to explode the band. So, And they used a lot of session musicians. I think Arthur Lee just wanted to be a perfectionist with things, and so they used a lot of them to finish up these albums. And we'll note those as we get to the track by track. And there was a ton of conflicts with the band in recording of this album and the previous albums. And I think just Arthur Lee showing his, or trying to show his power. Real love-hate relationship in this band. Yeah. (laughs) So this album only reached 154 on the U.S. Billboard charts, but did reach number 24 in the U.K. And that kind of shows their popularity in the U.K. being so much different, right? But later on... This album was recognized as one of the band's best albums and one of the best albums of the 60s, you know, and the psychedelic influences and things like that. I mean, it's too bad that it didn't get the recognition then, but at least people have recognized it since because it's a great album. Rolling Stone ranked this 180 on their top 500 greatest albums of all time, which is kind of crazy considering it only hit 154 in the charts in 1967. There's been multiple reissues of this album containing alternate versions, bonus tracks, things like that. They re-released it in 2001, 2008, and then a 50th anniversary edition in 2018. Now, we kind of passed around the cover earlier so we could all take a look at it, but the cover artwork was done by a guy named Bob Pepper, and it's basically, it features an amalgam of their faces, and it's bright and vivid colors, and you've got the band name in the upper left-hand corner, and the album name forever changes down in the bottom right-hand corner. It's pretty plain album, but it's pretty recognizable. So I was a little surprised uh, when I flipped the cover over because I really didn't expect, looking at the front of the album, I expected to see a lot more faces of color on the back. And I've come to find that like there's two black guys and the rest of these guys are white. Yeah, kind of interesting. Yeah. yeah, Arthur Lee was an African-American. Yeah, this was a little bit of a, this a bit of a trip for me. It was, it was kind of fun. Yeah, different music, <laughs> isn't it? Very much. So do you guys want to get to the album track by track? Let's do it. Side one. Okay, so side one opens up with, which is probably... If you've heard any love, probably their most famous song, I would guess. Now, let me ask you this, Tyler. I told you before we put this on that you probably haven't heard any of these songs. Was I correct? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I didn't think so. I'm I'm so virgin to love. Is that the way I want to yeah, say it? That's kind this? of a strange way to put <laughs> yeah, it. But, but yeah. <laughs> I, I hadn't heard any of these songs. And, the, and yet, a lot of these songs sound like other songs from the time. So you feel like you know these songs? You feel like you've heard them? I haven't heard any of them. I think the one disservice this album is going to do to you tonight mm-hmm. is that I think this needs to be listened to a number of times. It that's, really it does. does. Yeah. <laughs> it really that's does. one of the notes I wrote down is 
uh, right at the end. I'm like, I, I'm willing to give this album more listenings because you have to, and it's got good sound to it. So I'm willing to, to go with it, to do multiple listenings. So side one opens up with alone again, or and no question mark, just alone again, or now this song was written by Brian McLean and mainly sang by Brian McLean as well with Arthur Lee on uh, backup. So this was originally just titled Alone Again, and it was recorded for their debut album, but it was not fully completed then, and they just didn't get around to completing it until the third album. And it was written about a memory, apparently, of uh, Brian McLean, one of his old girlfriends or something like that. Mm-hmm. So this was released as a single. It was the only song off the album released as a single, and it reached number 123 on the Billboard charts. Also, for what it's worth, Rolling Stone ranks this as number 436 on the top 500 songs of all time on one of their lists. Of course, they come out with new lists all the time, but that's the highest it ranked for them. Yeah, and this it, it song, belongs on there. Yeah, I agree. And this song has been featured in a lot of films and television, although I don't think most people would recognize it or know what it is unless you're truly a love fan because they're not really yeah. a household name band no, by any means. One band named The Damned covered it in 1987, and it reached number 50 in the U.S. and number 27 in the U.K. So once again, it did better in the U.K., even with a different band. Well, you see what happens, Mr. Arthur Lee, when you're willing to travel and go outside of your home state to perform? So in this, like many songs on this album, strongly features strings and horns, which I generally don't like. It depends on if they're done tasteful or not, but this album, they just fit correctly. This was a surprisingly good mix in there, yeah. Yeah, so what do you think of this song, Tyler? So it opened with leaving me wondering, is this like feel Middle Eastern? And I think I... I think I settled on it. it. Sounds Spanish because there was the Spanish trumpets. Yeah, I kind of get the Spanish yeah. sound from it. And so it was a little bit of a, a wild ride going to the lyrics. I thought, wow, this is uh, this song's about a pansexual or either that or desperation because there's that line where it's like, oh, I would just love, I would love anybody in the world. Everybody's so wonderful, and yet I'm going to to bed alone tonight. Either this person's pansexual and loves absolutely everybody, or they're just desperate and lonely. Probably desperate and lonely. That being said, this was a pretty good song. I had a fun time with it. It was, uh, they have a good sound. Classic 60s sound. What do you think, Austin? I think it's a really good start to the album. I think it's a good glimpse into what you're going to get by listening to it. I think it really draws you in and just sets the tone for, for the rest of the album. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, it's a good song. I think it's got an amazing, just a little acoustic intro, which kind of, like Austin says, it follows through this whole album. It's pretty much only acoustic guitar through this, other than a song or two. But it's got bumpy little bass that sounds good in it, which really surprised me how much bass it it had in it because you get a lot of late 60s albums and the bass isn't so prominent. But I thought it was quite prominent in this, especially for a song that's not very heavy, you know, guitar-driven. And the acoustics good throughout. I thought the vocal harmonies on it between Arthur Lee and Brian McLean were good. I don't normally like the horns, like I said, or strings, but it fits in perfect with this song, and it fits in perfect with the album, without a doubt. And they're going to come back later. Yeah. And like Austin said, a perfect way to open the album. I think it's an excellent song, and Mm -hmm. I would say it's Love's most recognizable song, if you can call one of their songs recognizable. But I was going to say, well, this is an album opener. This is like a really good 
average sounding song of what you're going to get on this album. But that being said, it was actually a really good song. Yeah, it's got a good, to hook. Some it's got a good hook to it, too. It, yeah. it just sounds good and brings you in. So that moves us to song number two, A House Is Not A Hotel. Now, this one was written and sang by Arthur Lee, and it was uh, actually inspired by a song by Burt Backrack called A House Is Not A Home. The one thing in this is it does feature a 12-string guitar in the opening riff, which I think is really good. What are your thoughts on this one, Ty? I really like that 12-string guitar opening. It's got that nice sound to it. Really good drummer on this one with a smooth rhythm. Uh, this band's got a nice sound to them, and uh, that it had an electric guitar riff that was really great, too, that I enjoyed. Uh, so, Austin, um, I'm going to pass it over to you. I, I'm considering this song really good album filler. It's not great. It's not terrible. But what are your thoughts, Austin? That's kind of how I feel. I think it's a really good showcase of Arthur Lee's voice, though. I think it's. Mm-hmm. I think it really shows his voice off really well. I think again, there's great guitar, and I actually really like the bass line in this. I think it's not not too complex. It's just simple and just really fits in well with the song. Yeah, that's that's what I wrote too. But the first thing I wrote was well, the first thing I wrote was the acoustic intro is great, you know, on that twelve string. And then right after that, I wrote the the bass line's excellent in this. It's not overpowering, but you can hear it, you know. And I like songs that you can hear the bass in because a lot of them mm-hmm. it gets mixed in muddy with the drums and overtaken but i'll tell you what i really do like about this song is there's a guitar solo completely out of nowhere on this thing where Mm -hmm. the guitar comes in heavy i love it and then there's a second one that's the same this song i really like the electric guitar in this Mm -hmm. it really makes this song shine for me but it, it does come out of nowhere because it doesn't even fit in the song but somehow because it doesn't fit it fits if that makes sense Mm -hmm. really good song and like austin said arthur lee it's a good showcase of his vocal he does a good job on this so that moves us on to the the third song on the album and more again and it's all one word and more again no spaces so this is another song written and sang by arthur lee and he wrote this song about addiction and sensual slash sexual temptations of some kind. So on this one is one of the songs they use some session musicians on it. So you've got Arthur Lee on vocals. You've got Carol Kay on bass, which we were doing a little research on her before. She apparently has played on thousands and thousands of songs. Pretty famous studio musician that we've never heard of. Yeah, um, I'm assuming that she's probably Danny Kay's daughter. Most but likely not, but good not thought. Most likely good. Yeah, I, I, I have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> then you've got uh, Don Randy on keyboards, Billy Strange on guitars, Hal Blaine on the drums. And these guys are all from the famous Wrecking Crew, which is, there's mm-hmm. actually a good documentary on these guys. I believe it's on Amazon Prime mm-hmm. of how many songs. It's almost like Carol King-esque, you know, when <laughs> Carol King was involved in so many songs that she had written and things like that. The Wrecking Crew was involved in more than you could even imagine as far as, you know, recording. So what are your thoughts on this song, Ty? Okay, so there's some times in this song where he says, and more again, where I'm, it sounds like he's saying Mad Mortigan from Willow. <laughs> yeah, that's a, I, that might have went over everybody's head it's, there. It's I get over. it, but I don't okay. think Austin does. I definitely don't. <laughs> yeah, but like he's saying and more again, like it's a person's name is what it sounds like, you know. Yeah. Very folksy feeling song. It's a really good song. It, there's a line in there. It says, and uh, you don't know how much I love you. Ow, ow, ow. Loving you till it hurts. Like this is a great way to describe that addiction and uh, that passion that you got. That good. Even though you know that it's not good for you, you know that it's hurting you. 
you can't help it because you're addicted. Makes you wonder if he's singing that line about addiction or about yeah sexual things or sexual addiction. Maybe yeah, it's, yeah. Who knows? But what, anyway, I, I thought it was a great song myself. Yeah, it's a good song. What yeah. are your thoughts, Austin? I also think that's a great song. I th- I would say it's one of my favorites on the album. Actually, I think it's just a really good song with a really good baseline. Again, I mean, not too complex. A really good baseline that just fits in well with the song and the album and how how the album progresses. It's funny. It's almost like we're related because I've got the same thing written down. I'm I'm discovering pretty quick here that you guys have the same ears. You listen to these songs the same way for the same stuff. Well, yeah, you decipher the lyrics. We listen to the music because I yeah. can't figure it out. I can't. I can't understand the lyrics in half of these songs. So this is kind of interesting because it's almost like the ballad of the album. It's kind of slow. Mm-hmm. But that was one of the things, like Austin said, that I wrote down was I like the bass line. It's slow, it's subdued, but it's good. It's it's prominent. You know, you can hear it once again, which I really like. There's a lot of strings in this song, but I thought they fit in really well with the acoustic guitar. And it has kind of an interesting musical ending where it's kind of crescendo of uh, the acoustic guitar, the strings, and things like that. And I think it's just an excellent song. But mm-hmm. Carol Kate is a hell of a bass player. Because this was perfect as far as the bass, as far as I'm concerned. And I'm with Austin. This is one of my favorites on the album as well. I just not sure where I'm going to rank it quite yet. I got to think about that. Yeah, I, I agree with Carol Kay, though. That's really what got me into looking her up because I saw that she was on the bass and I really like the bass of this song. Yeah, so. good song. So that moves us on to song four, The Daily Planet. This is another one written and sang by Arthur Lee. This is another song on here that has uh, session musicians on it. This time you've got Carol Kay and Johnny Eccles both playing the electric guitars. you got Billy Strange on the acoustic guitar, Kenny Forsyth on the bass, and Jim Gordon on drums. And this is apparently, according to Arthur Lee, kind of a picture of a day in his life, right? What are your thoughts on this song, Tyler? Going into this... It- I thought the Daily Planet isn't that where Superman works? Clark Kent doesn't. I he think it is. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. So I, I was uh, really excited to you know go into superhero uh, stuff. And no, this is a very average day. He sings about chewing gum. Uh, I guess that's a bit uh, a big important part of his day. Well, let me say mm-hmm. all the rest. So you do your best with chewing gum, and it is also repetitious. Yep. Yeah, that part. Yep, exactly. But I'll t- I'll tell you something though. I noticed as I was listening to the song, this is, uh, the music sounds a lot like the soundtrack for a day. It, I mean, the way that you go through your day, it's not all the same tempo. It's not all the same speed. Sometimes you have different sounds. Sometimes you have different places you go and everything's a a little bit different. There's so much packed into this song. It was a a fun little uh, song to listen to. Pretty wild ride. And uh, once again, this really sounds like a 60s song that we've heard a lot. And yet it's, it isn't that song. I, (laughs) it sounds like a lot of songs I've heard before, but I haven't heard this one before. Well, love does something different too. It's, they have an interesting way of mixing the strings and the orchestration with the acoustic guitar, but they have in the upfront bass, which is prominent on most of these songs. So it's just a whole different thing. And then the lyrics are so mixed and vivid, you know, what are your thoughts, Oz? I think that this one with the lyrics, it's almost it's almost like the lyrics don't play as big of a role in this as the uh, the music actually does. I mean, there's so many instruments working together and they blend so perfect. I think it's interesting, Tyler, you said it's almost like a soundtrack to a day. 
because I agree. I mean, there's there's so many changes and so many things going together, and it still somehow sounds perfect. Yeah, I mean, this is another song that's got good acoustic work on it, and the bass line again on it I thought was really good. And that's pretty much every song on this album so far that the bass line has stuck out as far as to me. And like we talked about that uh, lyric with the chewing gum, it does have very vivid lyrics and stuff. Yeah. It, it's a good song. I, I wouldn't put it in my top half, I don't think, but a, it's not a skipping song for me. I think it's a really good album track. And I don't feel bad that we're not hearing something about a day in the life of Superman. No, I don't either. So moving on. So that brings us on to the next song, Old Man. Now, this one was written and sang by Brian McLean. It's got a ton of cello and violins. It's got string instruments loaded in this song. And, you know, one one thing I had read about it is Brian McLean ended up being a very, very spiritual slash religious man later in his life. He got mm-hmm. way into religion and a lot of people and even himself has said this song was kind of him writing as his foreshadowing of that. So what are your thoughts on this as a song, Tyler? Uh, Very much a string song and the strings carry this song really well. I really like that violin and the cellos. It's a different sound than I'm used to with songs like this, but that also gives a real folksy feel. And that folksy feel comes along with the, the message of the song that he's talking to this old man and the old man's going to divulge some wisdom to him and send him on a bit of a spiritual journey. And then all of a sudden there's horns in it. And that was a bit of a surprise. I don't know what, I don't know if it was uh, trumpets, trombones. I, I have no idea what horns they had in this. I was kind of thrown off by them. And yet I, I think I like this song more than I think I like this song. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I'm getting confused in my own thoughts, so I'm going to pass this off to Austin. What are your thoughts on this song? I uh, I think it was really good storytelling. I think that's the first thing that stands out to me. And then another thing is just the strings. I'm not a huge fan of stringed instruments like, you know, cellos and violins. I think that that really stood out in this song and really made the song. But I, th- I think that's, I think this is a really great example of uh, what I said earlier about the album, how... It sounds very similar to songs and albums in that era, but it's also got its own unique feel. And I think this song really sums that up perfectly. It's it's a unique song, but it sounds very similar to other songs that would have been popular in that era and area. And area, yeah. Almost like a Stairway to Heaven type thing where it's telling you a story. I think the story's kind of kind of like that, but the song for me, you know, had a pretty good acoustic intro and it kind of mixed mixes the bass in with the intro which i like i think overall it's kind of a plain jane song i i like austin i don't care much for the strings and things but i do like them in this album i don't really care for them in this song as much Mm -hmm. and i really don't like brian mcclain's vocals i i think this would have probably done better with arthur lee singing it and a tad bit more guitar added to it that being said Though Brian McLean, you know, he was he was the singer, the main singer on Alone Again or and I thought he'd done well on that. And I don't mm-hmm. know if that's because he has backing of Arthur Lee or what, but this one just didn't hit home with me for that. I didn't really care for this song too much. I never okay. really have. I'll listen to it. I'm not gonna skip it, but it's certainly not my favorite on the album. So that moves us to the last song on side one, The Red Telephone. This is another song written and sang by Arthur Lee. The song name apparently comes from a home that the members of Love were living in that had a red telephone. 
and they just pretty much pulled it off of that. You know, there was this red telephone, but that has nothing to do with the lyrics, and I'll leave it up to somebody else to decipher the lyrics because these ones were all over the place for me. It does feature a 12-string guitar again, and one thing that I really do like in this is the harpsichord. What are your thoughts on this song, Tyler? Oh, boy, when we talk about Wild Ride, this one... The name of the song is completely random. There's no link whatsoever. There's not even an allusion to a red telephone in this song anywhere. But that being said, it is all over the place. And then, like, right at the very end of the song, one of the lyrics, he talks about free dumb. They really talk a lot about freedom. And I thought, wow, this is 30 years before Braveheart. And I don't feel like that thought doesn't fit in with this song and how this song went it was all over the place <laughs> i have no idea what the lyrics that mean but even so it was a nice sounding song i like the music on it that harpsichord and the uh the 12 string guitar uh the harpsichord especially makes it a real folksy sounding song that that 12 string I, I like when they pull that out whoever they've got playing that 12 string knows what they're doing yeah i believe that's brian mclean he should do that more what are your thoughts austin I think lyrically, this uh, song is a little bit cryptic to me, at least. But I think instrumentally, it's it's great. I think folksy is a really good way to put it. It's just another side of the band that is shown on this album, and I think it, I think it's a great one. It's definitely one of my favorites. I'm not sure where I'd place it just yet, but it's up there. Yeah, for me, you know, I think the lyrics are all over the place, uh, and I don't really get into lyrics heavily. So, trying to figure out what it means, I don't think anybody's going to know, especially now that. Arthur Lee's dead, but I do really like the harpsichord in the song. I I really like the use of that, and I wouldn't say it's probably my favorite instrument, but I like the sound it gives this. I like the lyrics in it, even though they make no sense. You know, sometimes my life is so eerie, and if you think I'm happy, paint me white, yellow. You know, I don't even know what that means, but if you want to count me, count me out. There's just a lot of things like that. I thought the vocals were good. Once again, I thought the best thing in this was the bass line. But I do like the song. I like the use of the harpsichord in it. I, I really like it musically because it's kind of a kaleidoscope of music mm-hmm. on this song. And it's, it's a pretty good song. I, I would probably rank it in my top half on the album. I mean, it's definitely mm-hmm. not my favorite, but it's not in my least favorite either. It's a good song. I do like the vocals when it says, paint me white and then yellow. Yeah. It's it's an interesting how it yells it and yeah he he's got good vocals on it they're they're pretty decent I I like the song it's just I think as far as we'll have to leave this one to Tyler because he likes deciphering mm-hmm. lyrics he likes <laughs> he likes songs that are very strange so uh, there's no hope I, we're not gonna get an assessment tonight because I've only listened to the song once I, I think this is one you have to listen to multiple times <laughs> yeah to, I will to have understand to, without a doubt so you're ready to get to side two yep side two. Okay, so side two opens up what possibly could be the longest song name in rock and roll history. I'm not sure, but maybe the people would be the Times or between Clark and Hilldale. If anybody doesn't know, those are two intersecting streets on the Sunset Strip. Now, this song, again, was written and sang by Arthur Lee. That little strip of the Sunset Strip between Clark and Hilldale, it's where the Whiskey A Go-Go is, so where a lot of this music was going down. You know, the bands like Love and The Doors and The the Birds and Iron Butterfly played at the Whiskey. Pretty popular place, still is. That's where it's at, man. It's where it's at. Certainly was then. Now, this is with Arthur Lee possibly thinking about people, you know, the youth, how they can influence the government for the good. Mm -hmm. And each verse 
which is kind of strange. And I was reading about this and never even noticed it as many times as I've listened to it. But I read this, and so I thought I'd throw it in because then I did notice. Each verse begins with the word that completed the previous verse, kind of like they're building on top of that for some reason. Yeah. Now, this song has actually been covered by quite a few artists. Um, I was reading it. There's been several. And this has a lot of trumpets and even some trombone in this song. What are your thoughts on this song, Tyler? Uh, you know, this was a this was a really good song. I I had a good time with this one. I'd say it's one of my favorites on the album. But that had that nice uh, acoustic guitar intro that's just you know smooth and mellow. I, I always like it when they do like a little acoustic guitar opening. Just you know, it, well, you know it's going to be a mellow song. Pretty much every song on this album has an acoustic guitar opening. Oh, did it? Pretty much. Oh, I, I need to pay attention next time I listen to it. I'll tell you, th- this is the song where I said, hey, if a trumpet can rock out <laughs> and not in a mariachi band, it's this song. <laughs> They've got a trumpet that's going crazy, and it's great. And, you know, I like the horns in it. It adds a different um, element to it, different feel that you don't normally get with a lot of the songs of the era. Yeah, this was a, a good time. And um, that whole Whiskey A Go-Go, it, it just, that's what this song's about is, you know, getting to where the center of the world is and where all the action's happening. What are your thoughts, Austin? I think tying into that, my initial thought with the song is just since I know, you know, where Clark and Hildale is, I think it's cool that it just gives you a picture, you know, instantly in your head of where this is, you know, where this is talking about. And then even diving deeper into the lyrics, you know, talking about the youth influencing the government for good. I mean, that was a huge thing there, you know, around the summer of love, around the LA area. That's, that's a huge thing. So I think lyrically, this is great. I think instrumentally, it's great. I love the guitar in this, especially near the end of the song. I even like the trumpets and trombones, which is something that I don't normally love in, in music like this. So it's definitely one of my favorite ones on the on the album. I think it's great. Yeah, it's a good song. Once again, like I was telling Tyler, it's got another acoustic intro, but they mix the bass in it where you can hear the bass. It's kind of an interesting thing they do. And he's got good finger picking guitar throughout. It's it's excellent throughout. Horns are really good in this song. And then he breaks out with a trumpet solo for hell's sakes. <laughs> and I would normally probably scoff at that, but it fits the feeling of this song. It fits. It just fits the song well. Yeah. It kind you know the horns in this kind of remind me of the Doors' fourth studio album, The Soft Parade. You've got a lot of horns and trumpets and things and strings in that album and it wasn't looked at very highly at the time it kind of was looked at as a departure but now a lot of fans even though some still see it as their worst album a lot of a lot of fans pick it as their best album and underrated so i think they just had to be used right yeah and in most of the songs on this album it's used right and i think like austin said too the lyrics are so great look up and see me on the moons a common scene around my town where everyone here is painted brown Mm-hmm. And I asked you what that means, and none of us really know, but it paints a great picture, right? And it, it paints a picture of what was happening at the time. You know, Austin said, you know, we know where this is at between Clark and Hildale on the Sunset mm-hmm. Strip. This was written when it was all happening, right? Yeah. I mean, this is in the middle of it. So I think this is a good song all the way around, you know, musically, lyrically, everything. I think they did a good job on this one. Yeah, one last thought that I have about this, uh, that whole theme of... Um the youth changing the government for good is this is kind of that era where they came out with the mantra of don't trust anybody over 30. Right. Yeah. And so like, this is like a great song for, for the youth. 
other than there's no way they could have released it as a single because the disc jockeys would have went crazy saying the name of the song when they were introducing it. It seems like they're going with two different titles. Maybe the people would be the times and then, or it's between Clark. And I think just go good, between Clark and Hill. That would have been an excellent name. Yeah, they, they just couldn't Hill. decide, but you know, mm-hmm. it is what it is, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure about Arthur Lee's sanity. So let's move on to the next song, Live and Let Live. This is another song written and sang by Arthur Lee. And it, it's basically the lyrics indicate, his, they illustrate his what he sees as social injustice and the idiocy of war and violence, you know, mainly pointing mm. to Vietnam because yeah. of the times. And this song features something I really, really like is some heavy electric guitar in this song. It's pretty much only the second song on this album that has good heavy guitar heavy guitar what are your thoughts on this song tyler i love that sweet guitar solo really when it comes in at the end that was so nice this song opens mentioning snot snot (laughs) caked against my pants yeah uh uh-huh and there's certain lyrics out there i have to wonder where they came from was it like a bet that somebody said hey arthur bet you can't put the term snot in the first three words of a song yeah it makes (laughs) you wonder where they come from a lot of times they're just probably grinning about it there's something I noticed about this song, though, with the... This song sounds good in all the individual parts of it. Like, everything... Every element in this song sounds really good, but there's some sort of intentional dissonance that it just accompanies that, the good sound with it, and makes you feel on edge and a little uneasy. It just uh, makes you feel like there's something wrong here. And I think that really sends the message it really drives home the message of the song and i like how they how he used that um what about your thoughts austin i love the message of the song especially for the time that it was written the one thing that might be a little controversial is actually the guitar at the end i actually thought it started sounding a little bit messy i mean it goes into a really nice solo but then it just kind of gets almost messy it just doesn't sound like a formulated guitar solo as some of the, the other solos of the time were but I, I think it's still good in its own unique way. It just sounds messy, but I think it fits the band and the album perfectly. Once again, the one thing that stuck out to me the most on this was the bass line. I thought it was excellent. You know, one thing I'm going to disagree with Austin is I like, I, I actually noticed the guitar being messy, but mm-hmm. I thought it was excellent. I wish they used that a little more throughout the album in place of some of the horns. Even though the horns fit in well on a lot of them, I think this band, on the couple songs they do show the heavy electric guitar, they could rock it out. Yeah, and I I think that that electric guitar, the messiness, is just kind of, it's that feeling of it's getting out of control. I can understand that's something that like just adds to that dissonance that makes you feel like something's not quite right here, something's messed up, and... I yeah. think that was the whole point. And, I, and yeah, I kind of got that feeling too, but that kind of seems like how it was supposed to be, and maybe that's where mm-hmm. the messiness comes from. But I, I really liked it. I, I just liked how, once again, it was kind of out of left field, right? Mm-hmm. But that's kind of what you feel in this this yeah. album. So, yeah, a really good song in my opinion. So that moves us to the next one. It's kind of got a long title name too. The, the Good Humor Man, He Sees Everything Like This. This is, once again, a song written and sang by Arthur Lee. It's been said that this is possibly Arthur Lee mocking people that see everything with an optimistic perspective. We don't know, but that's what's been written about it. You know, he's possibly criticizing the hippie culture of the time. And there's also been people that said the good humor 
you know, the good humor man seeing everything like this, that they were actually referring to the good humor ice cream truck driver. <laughs> you know, that he sees yeah. everything driving around mm-hmm. town. So I don't know. What are your thoughts on this song, Tyler? It's got mellow music to it. It's got smooth and, and calm. Arthur Lee does something with his voice in this song that I I noticed it very strongly and prominently is that he changes up the speed and the tempo and some words he draws out really long and other words he cuts real short. He, he does it backwards too, where he'll say this, the beginning real quick and then he'll slow it down. With what seems to be a perfectionist of Arthur Lee, you got to assume that's intentional, right? Absolutely. There's no way that's not intentional. And I'm not sure what he's trying to, what picture he's trying to paint with that. But hey, um, drugs are fun. Uh, <laughs> yeah, good, good way to put it. And uh, uh, maybe that's what it was. Was it the ending? <laughs> well, yeah, sometimes that's the best explanation for yeah. it, right? Is that, yeah, there is no answer to it. Yeah, for sure. What are your thoughts, Austin? I think the ending is a good place to start. Yes. <laughs> the ending of that song, I really don't think you can talk about that song without talking about the ending, um, especially if you were listening to that on a vinyl back in the day, you know, mm-hmm. for the first time. I imagine that would be pretty confusing. I think it was confusing to oh, you, Tyler. I clutched my pearls worried about the vinyl. Yeah, you thought our vinyl was skipping. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I mean, for, for me and you who knew that was coming, yeah. it mm-hmm. was not very surprising. But I, I think that's a very interesting part of the song. I think it's just something that, I've never heard in music, even even up to mm-hmm. now. I think it's just a really interesting quirk of the song. But I, I, I think the build up to that is also great too. The way he builds up to it, that skip kind of sounds like a record skip. Yeah, it makes know. makes you wonder how many people bought the album and thought, you know, there was a defect in it when they first first <laughs> listened to it, you know. So well done, Arthur Lee. You got us. <laughs> I think this is one of the one of my more favorite ones on the album. For me, you know, this is a very 60s sounding song, at least at first. It just mm-hmm. encapsulates that, but it kind of goes into almost like Disney movie vibes for me. I, I don't know why. It it just kind of kind of give me that vibe. To me, this song is a little too orchestrated. Maybe at this point in the album, I kind of grow tired of it a tiny bit. I just don't feel it was used quite as much, but I really like the verses in this song, but I I really didn't pick out any definitive guitar, drums, or bass in it much, and so it might be a little too orchestrated for me, but it's still a good song, you know? Yeah, it's a Shining Happy People song. Yeah, it is. I think it stands out just because it does have so much orchestra in it, but I think that's what makes it one of my... uh more favorite ones just because it stands out it's very quirky i just love that skip at the end i think that's so funny yeah that's that's kind of cool and i really do wonder i wish we could ask arthur lee if this really is about the good humor ice cream truck driver so that moves us on to the next song bummer in the summer once again another one written and sang by arthur lee here's another one that he's possibly critiquing you know, the free love movement that was happening at the time. Mm. And this is a very, this is one of the notes I made. That's a very Bob Dylan-esque, you know, very folky song, but it's kind of a rocking folk song, you know, and this is the shortest song on the album, just barely over two minutes. Uh, What do you think of this one, Tyler? He sings this song so damn fast. He's not really singing. He's he's more speaking it, you know, but it's not a rap. It's, uh, It's so fast, everything about it. And it does sound a lot like Dylan, I gotta say that. Um, in addition to the fact that uh, this is super fast song, no wonder it's over in two minutes. It, there's that strong message of the free love, uh, criticizing the free love movement. 
I'm like, well, STDs did run rampant because of it. So yeah, good point. <laughs> yeah. Bummer in the summer. This, this song was a little different than the other songs on the album. Not a little, this was a lot different than the other songs on the album. Number one for the speed of it and how short it was. But that being said, the writing of it fits in. So, I mean, this song belongs on the album because of the message, not necessarily because of the music or the speed. What about you, Austin? What do you think? No, I think that was my initial thought as well. It just doesn't seem to fit with the rest of the album. It sounds like it would almost, it came from a different album, right? Yeah. Of, I mean, you can tell it's love, but it sounds like a different album or from a different era of the band. But I think you're right. I think the message fits. For me, I, I think it's just really fast paced and kind of different than the rest of them. And I, it kind of makes it one of my less favorite ones on the album. I, I, I think it's a great song still, but it's definitely one of my least favorites on the album. It's too short. What about you, Justin? Well, that was the thing I had written down. Good vocals, but they're very, very fast and Mm -hmm. quick, you know, almost speaking. I thought the the guitar, there was some good finger picking on the guitar, and it has a guitar solo in the middle of it that reminds me of the Endless Summer kind of surf music. If you've ever seen that movie, which I try and watch at least once every year, I I love it, and it kind of had that safari sound, you know, to it, which which I liked. I, I don't think it's... By far, it's not the best track on the album, and I don't think there's really any horrible tracks on this album, but this one, for me, is good album filler somewhere in the middle. You know, it's a good song. It Mm -hmm. it is different than everything else. You know, that's kind of why, like you said, Tyler, the message fits in with this album really well. It's just the music is a little bit different, but it's not a bad song. Yeah, just the style of it's a little different, but the, the message is congruent. Yeah, exactly. So that brings us to the final track on the album, You Set the Scene. Now, this song was written and sang by Arthur Lee as well, and this is the longest song on the album. It's about seven Mm. minutes long. This has been noted as an early example of prog rock because it has so many shifts in tempo, you know, and speed and things that just make it a little bit different, and that wasn't a real common thing back then, especially for a long song like this. It has a ton of jazz influences in this song which Arthur Lee brought in, you know, a lot of horns and strings. And he wrote this about life and basically how everything in life changes regardless, whether it's for good, whether it's for bad, it still changes. So what are your thoughts on this one, Tyler? Yeah, it's got a very um, strong strings opening. Anytime I hear the the strings open up, it's just, it's going to be, it it sets a tone. And what, what is the word that I'm looking for for that mood? It doesn't matter because it changes. This song changes over the course of seven minutes over a dozen times. It's it's crazy, and it's but it fits so well with the with the, what this song's about is that change is constant. And he's got some really interesting lyrics in there. One of uh, the ones that I thought was really notable was "They screw you up, but they'd rather screw you down." Not sure what he means by that, but I thought it was really uh, really strange and. Yeah, it changes all over the place. And that that being said, it's also fun that it goes so long after we've had the shortest song on the album, just over two minutes. This one's the longest over seven minutes. That just juxtaposition is a little, it, it's strange. But at the same time, I liked it because it really fits with that whole message that, hey, change is constant. If you don't like the way things are, wait around. You know, Things will change up. What are, you, what are your thoughts on this one, Austin? I think it's a good close to the album. One thing that I really like is, you know, the shifts in tempo and just how much it changes, like you said. One thing that I kind of compare that to is is The Doors, The Soft Parade, mm-hmm. um, that song specifically. 
not just the album, which came out after this. So I'm wondering if, you know, there was any influence there. I, I think I think that it's a great song. I really like the tempo changes. It seems like all the all the changes could be their own song. It's like the start of its own song, but all together they come and make just a great song and a great closing to a good album. Yeah, I I think it's a good song. I mean, obviously it is the longest one. I think what's the weakest on this, in my opinion, are the lyrics. I think they're kind of rambling, and he doesn't sing as much as he almost raps in this mm-hmm. one, or talking, you know. So I didn't really like that part as much, but as far as the song, they use the bass in the intro again, and it's awesome. The bass throughout. The bass, especially at the first of the song, is used almost as the lead instrument, and I really, really like that. And I thought this song, out of any of the songs on the album, had the strongest drumming. I thought the drumming pattern was a lot better than anything else. And and the drums are good on this album, but nothing spectacular. But I thought they were pretty spectacular on this song. Finger-picking guitar throughout is excellent. The lyrics, I just didn't really like them, I, but the music is put together well. I, I like the use of horns and strings as the solos. They kind of solo with those instruments, which is kind of a unique take. And Austin, I think, hit it on the head. Tyler's listened to the Soft Parade, the song, a couple times, too, and it does. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. It has like four different songs built yeah. into it. So it's kind of interesting. And right at the end of this song, I don't know what it is. It's probably the horns and things, but it reminds me a lot of the song by the Beatles, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, just kind of when that's ending. So I thought this was a good song. I like I like the different... It's it's almost like taking you through all the different songs that we've experienced in the album. You know, Now mm-hmm. you're getting them all, and here we're going to give you ultimate finale type of thing to end the album. So I thought it was a good way. I thought it's the best song to end the album with. For sure. I agree. Yeah. So should we get to winners and losers? I think so. Winners and losers. Okay, Ty, I'm calling on you first. Why don't you give me your two least favorite songs on the album? Uh, Three, if you want to name it. But how about two instead? I'm gonna go with the uh, the red telephone was one of my least favorites. I just I got lost trying to figure out what they were saying. The good humor man sees everything like this. That one, I feel like they he was mocking people who are optimistic and. I don't know, I'm just kind of of a different mindset or philosophy myself that optimism is a lot of what gets us through our day and a lot of what gets us through our life. Not everyone. Not everyone. Sometimes pessimism leads the charge. That's true. So, Austin, what are your two least favorite songs on this album? I would say uh, my first one is Bummer in the Summer. I just feel like it doesn't really fit as much in the album just kind of feel like it's a little bit out of place from a different album. I think it's a good song, just kind of seems out of place. And then I would say Live and Let Live. Just the guitar at the end, um, like I said, it just almost feels messy to me. I, I really do like electric guitar. It just it seemed almost out of place, maybe not on that song, but almost on the album. Those are just my two least favorite for the album, but I think they're still great songs. I don't think they're necessarily bad songs on the album. Yeah, well and for me, I'm I'm with Tyler on the good humor man. He sees everything like this. I, that's probably the one one of the songs I like the least. And you know, for, just for like completely different reasons than I said. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I think just because I thought it was too orchestrated, uh-huh. and, and there was nothing else. You don't. You've heard me say multiple times how much I like the bass or the guitar throughout, and none of that was in. I like when they use the orchestration 
in combination with that, but, and it's still a good song. I don't think there's a bad song on this album. There's not a skipper, but that's one of them. And then my other one would be old man. I just didn't really like Brian McLean's vocals on this. He sounded almost mm-hmm. whiny. Old man is probably my least favorite song on the uh, album without a doubt. It's just kind of a plain Jane song. And I, I just didn't really like the vocals and I don't like songs about spiritual quests anyway. So that's probably my least favorite. What's your two favorite songs or three favorite songs on this album, Tyler? I'm going to say my first favorite was End More Again. That song, as soon as I thought he was saying Mad Mordigan. Willow isn't the best movie in the world. It's not even a good movie, really. (laughs) I don't know what I'm going with on that one. But I think what I liked about that was the message of uh, that was conveyed through not just the lyrics, but also through the music. I like the way that... They spoke through the music, too. But my most favorite one is going to be maybe The People Would Be The Times or Between Clark and Hilldale, which I think we've agreed it should be just Between Clark and Hilldale. That was a perfect song. Yeah, I agree. Okay, Austin, why don't you let me know your two favorite songs on the album? Yeah, I would say uh, the first one for me is And More Again. I think that's just a great song, great message, and I think that Carol Kay kills it on the on the bass guitar in this. I I love the bass line in that. And then for my second one, I would say maybe the people would be the times or between Clark and Hilldale. And I think that is a mouthful of a title. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, (laughs) But other than that, I I think it's a great song. It's just, it just sounds perfect to your ears. I think it's great guitar at the end. Um, I love the little thing that he does with how each verse begins with the word previous verse. And I think that, just the image that it puts in your head, you know, between Clark and Hildale, you know where that is, you know the time, the time era that this is in, and I think it's just a great storytelling song and sounds great as well. So I'm going to be different than everyone here. I'm going to do three songs. What and, are your favorite three songs, Justin? And coming in at number three is Live and Let Live, one of Austin's least favorite songs. And I like it because of the guitar that he thinks is messy, which I agree with that, but I think it fits in well. I just like the use of the guitar, and I just wish I would have seen that more. Probably my second favorite song is the opening song, Alone Again Or, and that's kind of hypocritical because I picked my worst song as Brian McLean singing it, and this is one with him singing it, but <laughs> it's just one of the most recognizable to me, and I like the way it kicks off and gives all the sounds of this band. I think it's done really well. Uh, My favorite song on this album, nobody has named it as their favorite or their least favorite. It's A House Is Not A Hotel. Really? Yes. I really like the bass line in this. The drums are very prominent in it. And it's got a guitar solo out of nowhere and then a second guitar solo at the end that don't seem to fit in with the song at all. But obviously I'm picking these songs that have the heavier guitar in it and I really like it, but I don't think there's a bad song on this album. I really don't. If I was to leave one out, it would be Old Man. Other than that, this is a very strong album. Yeah, it is. So that's my picks. Do you want to get to the album rating? Yep, let's rate it. Album rating. Okay, Tyler. Okay. So we've listened to Love Forever Changes, their third Mm. studio album. You've listened to it one time and one time only. Yep, that's it. And Based on first impressions. This is a scale of uh, 0 to 10. 0 being um, we have to burn the album, and 10 being that I have to actually buy the album. So this one, Love Forever Changes, I'm going to rate this one at, with my initial listening at a 6. It's not really resonating that much within me. However, I'm giving it a 6+. plus because I'm sure 
that when I listen to it multiple times going forward, that's uh, that rating's going to go up a point every time I listen to it. And that's one thing I could say about Love is if you listen to them just one time, I don't think they would really stick out much to you. Yeah. That, that's my thought. I, I mean, I've listened to them yeah. a number of times, and I know for me, every time listening to it, I liked them more and more. So what, do you, what are your thoughts, Austin? I think you hit it right on the head with that. I, I think I noticed something new every time I listened to this album. It's been a while since I've just sat down and listened to this album from first song to last song. But I, th- I think it surprises me every time I hear something new or notice something new every time, whether that's, you know, a bass line or a guitar riff or, you know, some sort of solo. I, I think it's overall just a great album. I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10. What about you, Justin? Where do you sit on this one? Well, once again, he must be related to me. Yeah. So I think it's a solid 8. I do. I think I think it's a must-listen album without a doubt and it should fall on everyone's playlist one way or another. If you haven't heard it, give it a few shots because yeah. there, and there, there's some kind of strange songs on it mm-hmm. that you have to get used to, but they've got a unique sound and they were different than everything else mm-hmm. coming out of LA and America at the time. It's a shame that they didn't take advantage of that and, you know, seek more, you know, more commercial popularity, although that's not everything, but it certainly helps you produce more music. And, you but know, I, I gotta say though, this song, I, I said it at the beginning of this podcast, and I'm going to say it again, this uh, album, this band sounds like the sounds of the sixties. This sounds like the rock and roll that we've come to love. And so give it a, one try and then give it two more tries because it does take more than one listening to get into this album. I can see that from my initial listening to it, and I'm looking forward to my second and third. Well, we'll see where you're at in a few months after you've listened to it a couple more times. So that's Love Forever Changes, and in the meantime, if you have any suggestions for us, you know what you want to hear, what you want to hear us review, suggestions, comments, complaints, whatever, send them into classicvinylpodcast at gmail.com. You can reach out to us on Instagram or Twitter. Appreciate any ratings you can give us. Share us with your friends. But until next time, see you later. See you. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to Classic Vinyl Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe on or Apple Podcast or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at Classic Vinyl Podcast for updates and also share us with your music-loving friends. Mm-hmm.